0: But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, thanks, Seth. Uh,
1: when we were given the gifts, Matt was like, what if they were jaw ones? And I was like, man, what if they were? Um, they are not. They're books. So, Presbyterian way. Here are these books. Um, my wife is from Oxford, Mississippi, and we were driving back uh, to Memphis from there recently, and uh, there's just this sign on the side of the road, and I know you've seen something like this before, uh, it's just a small white sign, and in big red letters, it says "You are loved," and you're just like, "Oh, that's like that's sweet." And then I just was thinking, I was like, "What does that mean? Like, who am I loved by? Like, I, it's just weird. It's like this random sign. It's like you are loved. It's like, well, okay. You want like say more about that? Like, what that means? Like, how that works? Like, who's doing the loving? I, I don't know. Look. I walk around Midtown uh, in our neighborhood, and I see all these signs everywhere that say things like, in this house we believe love is love. And basic mathematics would say that is correct, right? One equals one. But you're like, what do they they mean when they say that, right? Like, what is love? And we live in a society that really loves love, and yet at the same time, I think we live in a society that if you were to ask somebody to define what it is, they'd really struggle. They'd really struggle to define what it means, right? For the most part, no one walks around and says like, man, I just, I don't know about this whole loving people thing, right? Most people are like, yeah, I'm, I'm into love. Love sounds great. Love's good. But what do we mean when we say that, right? Like we at Redeemer, we say every week that we want to be a people who are learning how to love, right? That this church is a place where we're learning how to love God and love each other and love Midtown. And so what do we mean when we say that? Uh, Because the Bible actually makes this really audacious claim that God is love. So it's kind of imperative to get that right, to know what love really is. And so for the last few weeks, what we've been doing as a church is we're looking at uh, a famous chapter in the Bible that tries to answer that question, that does answer that question, it's 1 Corinthians 13. And so in the same way, if you've ever seen like a diamond up close, it's one stone, but it's got all these sides and angles and facets to it. You can look at it from all these different angles, and it kind of looks different no matter how you look at it. And so love is like that. Love has many facets, many angles, and many sides to it. And so we're trying to look at all those different sides. And so this morning we're looking at how love doesn't envy or boast. And I just want to think about it in, in three ways with y'all. Uh, first, what are those? Uh, well, like, What does it mean to envy and boast? What is that? Uh, second, what's the big deal? Why should we care? Uh, and then third, how can we change, right? Uh, so first, what are they? Well, succinctly, uh, I would say that envy, it's not just... A desire for something. It's not just wanting something. It's, it's this over desire for something, uh, that actually starts to kind of consume you that, that you churn over it and you chew on it. And so, you know, imagine a, imagine a 16 year old or a 15 year old, uh, is it a bad desire to want a car? No, that's a good desire. There's plenty of good desires Envy, all desires, not bad. You want the car. Uh, but if it becomes an over-desire, if, if you obsess over it, if you get to the point where you actually start to resent people who have one when you want one, you may be on your way to envy. Right? It's this over-desire, this obsession that to say, I need this. I have to have this. Uh, another good word for this is Jealousy. Uh, In fact, that's actually how some people translate uh, this word in this passage. uh, Because the word that they use for envy, it's it's the same word in Genesis that is used to describe how Joseph's brothers feel about him. uh, That they're jealous of him. They're envious of him. It's not just that they want what Joseph has. It's that in some sense, they hate that Joseph has it. That they don't like that, that he's got something that they want. So it's it's not just wanting something. There's kind of this personal aspect to it, right? That usually envy and jealousy, it's not just about wanting the thing. It's kind of about, I don't know, resenting and hating the person that has what you want. Usually envy and jealousy is aimed at a person. Usually it's personal. And so if that's what envy is, uh, you know, if you're a student, right, it's it's not that it's wrong to want bad grades, but it is wrong if you look at somebody who scores higher than you and you hate them for it. And you wish, you think you deserve it, right? So uh, if if that's kind of what envying is, uh, then what what is boasting? Uh, Well, boasting isn't just celebrating something, right? It's not wrong to celebrate. Celebrating things is good. We just celebrated a bunch of graduates outside. Uh, We had a wedding here last night where we celebrated the love of two people. I mean, celebrating things is great. And so boasting is when you actually celebrate something uh, to prove something. Uh, that you're not actually just celebrating something for the fact that it's good and that it's awesome and worth celebrating, but you're celebrating it so that you're seen and noticed by people for having it, that you're trying to prove uh, that what you have to celebrate is is enough, that somehow it makes you worthy to be noticed, to be seen, to be praised. Uh, And so it's funny that actually when people try to flaunt their authority and their power, uh, it's usually because they actually think that they're probably weak. And they don't want anyone to know it. So they're trying to prove themselves to be strong, right? If, if we constantly feel a need to bolster ourselves up publicly, uh, it probably means that deep down we realize that we can't stand on our own. Uh, that we're pretty weak and that we, need, <laughs> that we even need to be bolstered up. And so envy and boasting, they're kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, which I've never read, but everyone kind of gets the point of it, right? Um, Another way to think of it is they're kind of two sides to the same coin. Uh, Or you can think about it this way, uh, that it's like a horseshoe. And here's what I mean by that. that There's this theory in kind of political science called the horseshoe theory. And it's this idea that as you get farther into the extreme on either side of a certain political divide, uh, that it's not like you're going opposite directions on a linear spectrum, that somehow it actually becomes like a horseshoe. That the farther you get into extremes on either side, you actually start to resemble the very thing uh, that you say that you're fighting against. And so I think envying and boasting kind of work the exact same way. You think that they're different. Okay, I want something desperately or I'm overly celebrating what I have. Those seem like opposites, but really they are similar to each other. And here's why. It's because both envying and boasting are based in fear. Uh, according to our boy, Lewis uh, he would say that they're based in this fear of not having enough. Uh, And not only fear that comes with not having enough, but the pain that comes with feeling like you don't have enough. And and here's what I mean. I cannot speak from experience. Well, I kind of can because I'm a firstborn. But a lot of times I've heard uh, that when parents bring home a second child, they bring home a younger sibling. Depending on the age of the first sibling, uh, there's some fear and there's some pain. Because the firstborn is thinking, wait, th- these people that I used to have all to myself are now, like, obsessed with this other thing that I've never, like, they just met this thing, right? And they're, like, so in love with it. And, like, I've been here for four years, you know? And so there's this, <laughs> so there's this, there's this jealousy and this envy, right? You feel like you're losing the parents. And what does that drive the older sibling to do? Uh, well, if you watch Linux Family Home videos, anytime the camera zoomed in on my younger sister, Erin, I was immediately in front of it. You know? You, you can't stand to have the attention off you, and so you boast. You say, celebrate me, notice me, see me. And so it, com- it comes from this scarcity mindset. Envying and boasting, both of them, it comes from this mindset that I I don't have enough, and I'm afraid. I'm feeling pain because I don't think I have enough, and I'm afraid of what that means. Um, I'm about to use an illustration that involves my in-laws, and I didn't ask for their permission. And so I'm sorry, but I have to do it. I'm too far in. I just acknowledged it. Um... (laughs) When Meredith and I first started dating, right, you, you first start dating, you go on dates, but then you get more serious, and dates turn into like, hey, come meet my family for dinner. Come over to our house. Hey, why don't you come stay the weekend? Why don't you come to the lake with us? And uh, if you know me uh, decently well, I, I'm a big late-night snacker. I just, I have to have something around 9:30 or 10, and it's because, and I, and I made the mistake of vocalize. It's not a mistake. I vocalized this one time by saying, man, don't you just like hate going to bed hungry? <laughs> And I think my in-laws were like, is, was he okay? Like, was did he go hungry as a child? Like, is he, like, legitimately worried about going to bed hungry? Was that something that regularly happened? Uh, which it wasn't. I just, I don't know. I just... I actually don't really eat breakfast. I usually eat my breakfast kind of the night before, you know, in like a snack. And so, but anyway, look, it's, it's this idea that like, that, that's kind of what it's like, this scarcity mindset of like, I'm, I'm afraid that I don't have enough and it hurts. And so I churn and I over obsess over things that I want that would make me feel complete. But then also, anytime I get something that kind of fills that role, I have to make sure everybody else sees it. And notices it, right? It's not enough to just have the good thing. You have to make sure everyone else sees you have the good thing and acknowledge that you have this good thing, right? Um, okay, so they go. They both come from this scarcity mindset, fear of not having enough, uh, and it's because both envy and boasting, they're intimately related to how we deal with our stuff, um, like with things, you know, nouns, people, places, and things. The way we relate to stuff is broken, right? Uh, Envying and boasting are both due to an unhealthy fixation on our stuff, right? Whether we have it or don't have it, right? Think about, I mean, think about kids, you know? Uh, Think about your job. Uh, Think about your vehicle or your house or your neighborhood, you name it. Almost everything in our life, we're tempted to either boast in it and say, man, this makes me okay, and I I want people to know it, or say, I see other people have what I don't have, and and it hurts, and, and I don't feel like I have what I need, Right. And so even boasting betrays that even what we have isn't enough. Right? Because if what you had was enough, you wouldn't feel the need to boast in it. You'd just be content with having it. And so it feels backwards, right, that boasting means you're operating out of the scarcity mindset, but think about the horseshoe, right? Even our boasting, even our bragging, our posting, the humble brags, whatever. We want people to know and to notice that we have these things, right? Uh, I I scoured the internet a couple nights ago looking for the perfect example of some humble brags, and I was not disappointed. And um, this was a a tweet that I saw. It was someone who said, I've really got to learn to control myself when I fly first class. I just had 10 chocolate chip cookies, and I'm worried that this could hurt my modeling contract. These are real human beings. Um, or I saw this, right? There, there was a post from a girl whose engagement ring was so big that uh, three different times during the day, she had ripped through her medical gloves that she wore as a nurse. And she posted about it. And she's like, What am I going to do about this problem? And everybody's like, Take it off, you know? And you're just like, Why do we feel? And we laugh, and it's, it's appropriate to laugh, it's funny. But like, wh- why do they feel the need to share that? Why do we feel the need to share that? We do it too. Uh, we name drop people uh, that we've been hanging out with or that we know that we're friends with, right? We use people's names to say, look look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the right group. We post where we vacation. We say, look at me, I vacation in this spot. I belong to this group of people. I can accomplish these kind of things. Look where we vacation. Uh, you can even, there's even a way to post about the really sensitive, hard things in your life in an attempt to be vulnerable and open and real and authentic And yet sometimes I want to say, is that really being real and authentic? Are you sharing that with other people? Or are you just kind of trying to make sure everybody sees and notices that you are authentic and real and vulnerable? And so we do all these things because we're afraid that we won't be seen. We're afraid that we won't be seen and we won't be noticed. And so we manipulate other people into seeing us and into noticing us through our boasting. And so most of us, if we're being honest, our our life is like one of those old school, like oscillating fans, you know, that just constantly turns. And we're just constantly ping-ponging between envying and boasting. Man, I do not have enough. I need more. Man, my life is so great. I have to share with everybody how awesome it is. And so if that's what envying and boasting are, right? This fear and pain of not having enough, feeling like you aren't enough, Uh, this unhealthy obsession with our things, with our stuff, with what we have. uh, What's the big deal? Why is that actually wrong? Uh, Maybe you think this too. When I look at the list of 1 Corinthians 13, a lot of it makes sense. You're like, love is patient. Okay. Love is kind. Sounds good. But then you get to envying and boasting, and I, I don't know, to me, this one feels the most out of place. You're like, I just, I don't know. I don't know how it fits in there. Um, and a lot of times, I think people could maybe even convincingly make the argument that like I, envying and boasting is not that big a deal. What are, what are you really hurting, right? If you're kind of showing off some stuff. You, we should show off some stuff, right? We should be celebrating ourselves. Or what, what's wrong with wanting, you know, other things that we don't have? But here's the rub, if envy and jealousy are essentially obsessions with ourselves and what we have or do not have, uh, the Bible says that love is the opposite of that. Because love is radically others-focused at the cost of self. Right? If, you, if you let Scripture, if you let the God of the Bible, if you let the gospel dictate what love is, love is radically others-focused. Right? We see love primarily in the fact that God, he's a giver. He made all of creation and he gives it to us as a gift, right? And this pattern and trend of generosity keeps going and you get to Jesus, that God gives you his very self. And so envying and boasting are radically self-focused at the cost of other people, We dehumanize and demean and manipulate other people out of fear and pain of not having enough. And the gospel says love is the opposite. Love is radically others-focused at the cost to yourself. And so love actually realizes that life is not a competition. Uh, Love is being able to look at someone who is more talented than you and to celebrate them instead of, Honestly hating their guts in private and wishing it was you. Uh, Love is the ability uh, to be able to look at people uh, with talents and skills different than your own and say, I I don't have to be threatened by that. I can can actually celebrate uh, the fact that these other people are really good at this stuff. And so envy fails on two fronts, right? It fails to love in two ways. On the first way, it fails to love what you already have, right? You've been given... I know all of us have been given a ton of stuff, and envy fails to love what we've actually been given. That's how it fails in one way. It also fails to love God, right? Because essentially your envy says, you haven't really given me enough. Or, even more insidious, even just knowing you is not really enough, right? I I need more. Um, Nostalgia, wishing for the old days, hating the current times that we live in, it's not loving uh, because it, it... It doesn't love the present, right? It doesn't love the present, and it's obsessed with the past. Uh, But on the other hand, envy also fails to love God. I already said that. Uh, (laughs) Boasting, boasting fails in the same two ways. Uh, It fails to love the thing that it's boasting about because it doesn't love that thing. It's using that thing, right? When you boast about something, it's not that you love that thing, it's that you're using that thing so that other people see you and praise you, and so you're not actually loving that thing. You're loving what that thing does for you, whether it's a job or a position or a friendship, whatever it is. And so, look, if you are tempted to boast uh, in the growth of your church and how awesome it is, then anytime you see another church flourishing, you'll feel threatened, Right, you, you'll feel like that's competition uh, rather than loving and celebrating uh, the good things that other people are doing. Uh, I recently read Tim Keller's biography, not boasting. Um, and in thank you, thank you, and uh, in the audio version of the bio, uh, it includes this lecture by Elizabeth Elliot, uh, who some of y'all may know of. She was married to Jim Elliot, who's a missionary. Um, The Elliot's had a massive impact on Tim and Kathy Keller. And in this lecture, she was telling a story about some time she spent in Scotland. And uh, she was talking about this morning that she woke up early. And, um, you know, it's like a Lifetime movie, I guess. You know, she's got the shawl wrapped around her with the coffee. It's foggy. And um, she was watching uh, this farmer and his dog herd the sheep on this sheep farm that they were staying on. And she said she was so struck by the way that the dog uh, related to the farmer that it just kept its eyes locked on the farmer until it received the next command. That it was just infatuated and obsessed with and staring at the farmer until it received instructions. It was just waiting with with bated breath. And then the second the farmer said to do something, it just ran full speed uh, to accomplish its task. And she said it looked like the freest, happiest creature she'd ever seen. Because it was doing exactly what it was made to do. It was existing in the exact way it was made to exist. She said it's so glorious to just watch a thing do exactly what it was made to do. And I can't remember where I read this or heard this, but you know, some pastor, author, person said um, that they really envied clams. That they really envied clams. Because they said the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's impossible for a clam to do or be anything other than exactly what it was created to be. It just sits there, and just by existing, it glorifies God. God's like, I delight in you. You're doing exactly what I created you to do. Same with the birds, right? They're, they're singing. They're making nests, they're, they're doing exactly what God made them to do, and, and they just feel so free. And They feel like they exist with so much joy. And so what the Bible claims is that you and I, what we were created to do is to receive love from God and then to love him back. To receive and embrace his love to us. Uh, in 1 John 4, uh, the Bible actually says that love is not primarily something we do, uh, that love is primarily something that God's done for us, right? That he does to us. Sorry. And so you and I were made to be totally and completely uh, fulfilled by the love that God has for us in Jesus. We were made to be free, we we're made to be like that sheepdog totally content, just staring at our master, being exactly who we were created to be. And yet we insist on being miserable, like human beings. Uh, Okay, so how do we change, right? If that's what envy is, this unhealthy obsession with stuff, um, with this over kind of infatuated desire of of things, if that's what boasting is, this kind of not celebrating the thing in and of itself, but using it to kind of bolster, you know, uh, our image amongst other people, uh, how do we change right if if the, if the problem with those things is that they fail to love God and they fail to love people and they 're actually unhuman, how do we change right? And so, like the text says, uh, love does not envy or boast, and so yes, of course, that means that to be loving means that you shouldn 't envy or boast, uh, but it also means that love itself doesn 't envy or boast, which is kind of a weird thing to think about that love itself doesn 't envy or boast. But like we said before, right, the, the Bible makes this claim that God is love. That his character, that who he is, grounds the definition of love. And so if you want to know what love is like, we would say, look at Jesus. Read the Gospels of the New Testament and see what it looks like when God comes to earth in the form of a man and exists among people. And so on earth, Jesus never envied. He even says that it's his food to do the will of his father. All he wants, he's like that sheepdog. All I want to do is what God wants me to do. But Jesus is not just the perfect example of how not to envy or how not to boast. It's actually his lack of envying that saves us. Think about it this way. Even in the garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus expresses a desire he says, Father, if there's any way we can save these people, and I, don't, and I don't have to do this, I don't have to go to the cross, if there's any other way to do it, can we please do that? And there wasn't. And he didn't have an over-desire. He didn't envy anything else. He said, I'll go. And the book of Hebrews actually says it's you, that if you are a Christian, that he looked at the church and said, that's why. That is the joy that is set before me uh, to go through this excruciating thing. And so in the final moments of Jesus's life, he did not look around and wish he was somewhere else. Right? He did not envy anything else, even though we had given him countless reasons for him not to come after us. Uh, but think about it this way too, right? The, the God of this universe is the only person who would have every right to boast Who would have every right to say, hey, look at me, notice me, see me, and my honor, and my majesty, and my glory, and all that I've created, and all I've given you, please see me and notice me. And yet, what do we get in the gospel? Uh, We get the fact that God became a person, that he gave up heaven, he didn't insist on having it. And he came to earth, and he lived a life of relative obscurity. He did not insist on making himself known. In fact, if you read the Gospels, a lot of times when he would do a miracle, he would say, Don't go tell anybody what you just saw. Right? He wasn't seeking to be famous. And even his miracles, right? Like, I think I've said this a thousand times. He didn't like fly around shooting fireballs out of his hand, saying, Look at me, I'm the Son of God. Like, his miracles, they weren't, they didn't boast. He healed the sick. He raised dead people, and he forgave sins. Really, even his miracles don't boast. But it's not just enough, again, to point to Jesus and say, See? Just, just do that. Don't envy. Don't boast. Be like Jesus. That's never enough. And so what if I told you, right, ESPN 30 for 30, what if I told you uh, that actually the key to being healed from our constant envying and our constant boasting is to see that in the gospel of Jesus, God is both jealous for us and in some sense boasts in us. That the key to our unhealthy wanting is to be wanted. Uh, That the key to our unhealthy uh, desire to be noticed uh, is to see that we actually already are. And so this is how God is jealous for you, right? If you're sharp, you should be thinking, wait, he just said envy and jealousy is bad. How, how can God do that? Well, here, here's the difference, right? This is how God is jealous for you. He self-describes himself that way in one of the reflections that's printed in your bulletin uh, in the front from Deuteronomy 4. Uh, he self-describes himself as being jealous. But here's the thing, right? God's jealousy, it's perfect, and it's sinless because he's perfect, and so his jealousy's perfect. And here's what I mean. It's because he is wanting something that already belongs to him. Or that he's wanting something that already belongs to him. He rightfully feels pain when his people that he created start looking to other things than him to find meaning and value and significance. Right? And because he made us and because he loves us, uh, he doesn't share God is not interested in competing with things for your allegiance to Him. He will not be okay with you treating anything else in this world in the way that only He was meant to be treated. Right, and think about this, right? If you're a parent and you see that, and you have a child and your child is going down a certain pathway that you know is destructive, that you know is dangerous, there is a pain. You are jealous for them because in one sense they belong to you and you love them and you want them to be near you. You want the best thing for them and so there's pain and there's wanting them to be near you and that's healthy. So that's how God's love is like for us but not only is God jealous for you but if you are what the Bible calls in Christ, if if, if you are someone whose belief and trust uh, is in Jesus alone then the Bible says that God actually sings over you and delights in you almost like he boasts about you. Uh, there's another passage in the front of your bulletin uh, from Zephaniah 3, and one commentator said that if you really want to know, right, God is love. If you really want to know God's deepest heart, his bottom line impulse, who he actually is for sinners that embrace his grace, that it's in Zephaniah 3.17. And before I read this, I, I just, do you, do you feel like God feels this way about you? Because this is his words, not mine. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That if you believe in and trust God, if you believe in and trust in his son Jesus, that is how God is determined to treat you. That even now, that's exactly how he feels about you. If you are in Jesus, that he delights in you. And so look, um, as we wrap up, uh, the Bible and Jesus himself, they they teach that at the end of time, as we know it, um, that heaven's going to come to earth, uh, that Jesus Christ is going to return. And that somehow, some way, everything that sin has broken and done wrong uh, to this planet, God's going to redeem it and he's going to make it right and this event, this returning of Jesus to fully heal and redeem his world, uh, the Bible describes it as a wedding. Describes it as a wedding where Jesus is the groom and his people on earth, the church, are the bride. Uh, some of y'all know this. There was a wedding here last night. That's why we have beautiful flowers in the sanctuary. Uh, and that wedding was between two people who actually met here in the youth group at Redeemer. Just saying never know what could happen. And um, look, it, it was awesome. It was, it was gloriously beautiful. And it was not because of the music. And it was not because of the food. And it was not because of the dancing. And it wasn't because of the flowers or the reception. It was because when the back doors flung open, we got to watch a groom just become completely undone that it was this perfect mixture of laughter and sobbing at the same time. It was just he was overcome by the beauty of his bride. And then she did the same thing. (laughs) She melted and she was undone. And they just smiled and they wept together in front of all their friends and family. And do you think that they envied anyone in that moment? Do you think that they envied anyone else? Do you think that there was anywhere else that they wanted to be, anyone else they wanted to be in that moment? Man, no chance. No chance. No chance. And so the cheers and the celebrating and the delight that they had in one another, it would be gross to say that they were boasting in each other. It's just they were overcome with this joy at the gift that they had. And so it was this humble yet triumphant moment of celebration. And that's what the Bible says heaven's going to be like. Uh, That Christ the groom is going to look at you, his bride, and he is going to beam with delight That if you have trusted Jesus here on earth, that when when he comes back, he's going to look at you with a smile on his face. The God of this universe is going to rejoice and he is going to say, yes, this is what I've always wanted. This is what I've been jealous for because I have you all to myself. And so the Christian hope, it's... (laughs) What we believe, it doesn't just help you get through life on earth. like It does that, but there's also the fact that it says that we are going to spend eternity with God in heaven where it's impossible to envy because you'll have everything that you ever wanted, everything that you ever needed, and it's impossible to boast because the only reason it's possible has nothing to do with you. It's all because of what Jesus has done on your behalf, his life and death and resurrection. And so let that love fill you up to where you don't envy. And let that love empty you of your pride so that there is no boasting. In, In the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have God's attention. You do not have to be noticed. You are noticed, radically noticed. And you don't have to envy anything because you yourself are wanted. He wants you. That's an invitation. Let's pray, um, God. Uh, it's easy to to think about all these things in a really abstract way, and, and to leave and, and to not feel different and to not feel changed. And so, God, I pray that for myself and my friends here that you would change our hearts, that we would that we would continually uh, come back and stare at the cross, that we would stare at the gospel of your great love for us in Jesus. And that that would help us to be people who are more content with what we have and who don't feel the need uh, to boast and be noticed. Uh, and God, would, would we boast in you? Would you be the thing that we long to celebrate and to show off and to be excited about? Would we give you glory and majesty and honor because of the great love that you've shown to us in Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen.